Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Today is a treat, a big-time treat, because I get a chance to talk with a true talk show legend, Mr. Dick Cavett, about many things, including his long friendship with another legend, Muhammad Ali, a friendship that is now featured in a new film. So like I said, listen up, because trust me, you're really, and I mean really, going to want to get a load of this. All right, let me tell you something here, folks. This is, for me, a real, real treat. Why? Well, because I mean this sincerely. I promise you I'm not just saying that. But Dick Cavett, for me anyway, remains to this day as the best interviewer I have ever, ever seen. Now, why do I say this? Well, it's because Dick did not interview people. What he did was conduct conversations. And he did it in such a manner that he would be able to get things out of people that nobody else would, or for that matter, could get. One of those people being Muhammad Ali, which, by the way, his conversations with Ali are on full display in this terrific new HBO film, Ali Cavett, The Tale of the Tape. I've watched it no less than four times over the past week before it debuted this week on HBO. (laughs) And really, to, to call it a wonderful film would be a big-time understatement because it's much, much, much more than that. It's about two men, two legends coming from quite different backgrounds. Allie from Louisville, Kentucky, and as they like to call it, the squared circle known as the boxing ring. And then there's the Yale-educated Cavett from Gibbon, Nebraska, and talk show fame. Allie would appear on the Cavett Show 14 times, forming the foundations for a 50-year friendship. Having said that, it is my honor to have Mr. Dick Cavett join me here on my Get a Load of This podcast. Dick, welcome and thanks so much for sharing some time. Gosh, you've got me crying already. <laughs> no, I don't want you crying. I'm, I, I, believe me, I don't say that. You know, I'm, I'm not what they call okay. warm and fuzzy, but I mean it sincerely. You did interviews. I, I, let me correct myself. They weren't interviews. They were conversations. Ah, uh, 
Yes, I know why you say that. I wonder, uh, maybe you've heard me say this, that uh, about a week before I started the show, nervous as hell, not knowing how do you go from zero to 90 minutes of television that you're responsible for that's ad lib and how do you get in and out of it and what's the technique and luckily I had the background of having hung around as a writer the Tonight Show with Jack and Johnny of course with Johnny and uh, Jack and even and Merv Griffin so I knew a lot about it Jack Parr of course yeah Jack Parr I'm sorry yeah for for our younger viewers (laughs) that's that's Uh, why I'm saying it we're dating ourselves that's a good point but uh Somehow I managed to do a first show, and I realized that I liked it, but it was hard as hell to begin with, partly because you've never done it before first, and then the fact that when you find yourself sitting there in the studio with an audience and with the cameras, there are things you're not sure of, like what was the sign somebody just lettered across the room and held up, but not long enough for you to read it? And now what do I do? What was that about? Get off the air, move over, what? And, and it's one thing, and then there was the phenomenon that I think everybody who's done this would report. The guest's lips stop moving, and you haven't been listening to what <laughs> because of all the distractions and the people signaling you and the lights blinking on and off. And, um, but so, somehow you do get through it um i even got a laugh on the first nervous taping there was a man on named elmer bursby from somewhere in vermont i think and he was an ant expert (laughs) a-n-t so i'm standing there waiting for the cue and the red light to go on to go to the segment and instead of saying, here's Elmer Bursby, an ad expert, I heard myself say, no show is complete without an ant expert. Well, this got a nice laugh, and I felt like Jack Parr. <laughs> Maybe I know how to do this. Well, you, 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 you certainly did do it for, for, for many years, and you did it successfully. But the thing that struck me so much about this Ali Cavett, uh, tale of the tape film, uh, re- really hit me, maybe it's because of the times we now live in, is that your conversations with Allie, it really displayed how two people with different views, different backgrounds, can actually listen to each other and get along and become friends. And, you know, as we know now, Dick, in the country, in the times that we live in, people are not listening to each other very often. And, you know, it's either my way or the highway. Uh, and yeah. how, how did you guys manage to, to form such a bond? I don't know, but it came on gradually. Um, one good thing is what we talked about earlier. Just before I nervously knew I was going to do the show in a few days for the first time, the phone rang, and of all people who never called anybody by phone that I know of, it was Jack Parr. And he said, kid, advice, don't do interviews. And I thought, is this Jack Parr? Is this a dream? He said, no, no, you know, that's facts and what's your favorite this and that and who who do you like best in this and that and all that. That's that's David Frost falling asleep with his clipboard. Uh, 
don't do interviews. Make it a conversation. Well, then I was right. Now I'm I'm actually very pleased with myself because it's true. You always had, I used to watch people sit with you and nobody even more so than Allie though, so comfortable. You had the ability to make them comfortable. And I think by doing so, you were able to extract things that other people couldn't get in particular, Allie. You're right about that. Also, um, I don't know what that is because I began to notice that guests, huge and small, would say afterwards, gosh, I, I don't know how you got me to tell that story about my mother, or I don't know how you got to, how you managed to bring up the scandal so tactfully or, that I was able to actually talk about it. One or two would say to the point, is there any way we can remove some of the stuff I said? Well, we could not, but... Uh, but I, somehow I got from my parents, who both were great talkers, uh, some sense of conversation that stuck with me. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I mean, when I look back, and again, I want to talk more about Ali, but since you bring mm-hmm. since you bring it up, I mean, some of the people, you know, Groucho. Well, of course, Groucho Marx was a character, but Catherine Hepburn and John Lennon and and. and and Brando and Janis Joplin and, 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 and people like that. People who, if you will, like their privacy. And, I mean, I watched Catherine Hepburn sit down with you, it seemed like, for two hours just schmoozing. It was like she was crawled up on a couch. I mean, how the hell do you do that? That was somehow a miracle that she came on it all. She'd never done it. She had something in her personality that if a snake walked along by the floor he she would pick it up if she thought the other people were afraid she would uh she she just liked to challenge herself she had never done this and friends of hers like um oh god i was at a party at edward albee's in montauk and a woman came up and grabbed both my cheeks and pinched them and she said you don't know who i am do you and I was sort of annoyed, and I said, Betty Crocker, and uh, <laughs> just got a laugh from the people around. But it was the wife of two giant Hollywood studio stars with both their names in hers. Um, what's her name again? <laughs> uh, oh, no, don't, don't tell me. Uh, anyway, it'll come in a moment. She, Irene, Irene Mayer... Selznick, M-A-Y-E. Really? And she had told her buddy, Catherine Hepburn, that she ought to do my show. And that was a big help. Uh, And I think that might have tipped it with Hepburn. And then, of course, she came in and did what no guest has ever done, having not yet fully agreed to do the show. She came to the studio and she said, well, we'll tape some, and if it's no good, we'll just burn the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought of, with her income, greenbacks winging out the window. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> well, l- l- let's get back to Allie for a second. You, yeah. You, you interviewed Allie on your show 14 times. Did you sense that he understood the power of television and how to yeah. use it from the get-go? I knew he understood the power of television, also of show business. His instincts were faultless. He always said the right thing. His timing was faultless. His delivery was funny when it was supposed to be, and 
serious, in fact, moving when it was more serious, when he was in some of the danger periods of his life there, where some feel it's a miracle that he survived all that. With the entry into his life of Louis Farrakhan and uh, Father... uh, Uh, Elijah Muhammad? Yeah, Elijah Muhammad. uh, He was in real jeopardy for some time. Uh, I think he had a couple of bodyguards. I, I think people even warned him, don't go too far. I know some did. And it was courageous of him. His beliefs that he expressed were real. He did not want to go to war. A, co- a comment that's not in the show is once he said, I don't have anything against those Viet Cong. Mm. Uh, and he said, I don't know why I, a black man, should be given a gun and sent across the world to kill other people who have had a bad time, too. Uh, and he, he meant, he, yeah, so he did not go in the draft, as you know, and of course that created a lot of boobs who were tempted from their lair to uh, threaten him and attack him and so on. In, in, um, the, in the film, Dick, you, you say that during the transition period, you know, when he was going from Ali to, um, you know, first it was Cassius X, then of course it became Muhammad Ali. That yeah. uh, that you were a little uncomfortable in that period. Was that just you feeling that way, or was it Ali and possibly the nation of Islam making you feel that way? Well, there's certainly some of that. And of course, I, I, I didn't have a history of the, the nation of Islam. I didn't know a lot about it. I knew what they stood for, certainly by that time. And Malcolm X uh, occurred, a brilliant man. Uh, and so he was... Uh, his brilliance made him somewhat more dangerous, I suppose, in a way, because he he was very, very, like Ali, very aware of media, how to use it, how to exploit it, and to be uh, scary in his way. So many people thought, Ali, you better watch out, you better get out of this, you better be careful, you're sacrificing your career, you're... And part of Ali's genius was his ability to get into tough and dangerous and complicated situations and work his way out of them because of his instincts, his superior intelligence. Uh, everything about him made him Ali. <laughs> you, you, you made you, you used. I mean, the way you described him in in the film, uh, and again, it's it's. Ali Cavett, The Tale of Two Tapes, which is just remarkable. When I say I watched it four times, I wanted to go over different aspects, especially since I knew I was going to be fortunate enough to have you on. But uh, I'm using how you described them. You described them as being sly, subtle, and startling intelligent. So um, uh, my question to you is, did you realize these traits early on in your relationship, or did it take time to evolve? Well, not at first. Of course, when he was Cassius Clay, I knew he was who Cassius Clay was, and through that period of his life. Uh, when he first came on, I thought, will this be just a boxer? We'll talk about boxing and maybe not entirely dazzling in his speech or manner. Uh, and he was all the good things. Um, and he wasn't just, certainly wasn't just joking or as an appearance, although in some appearances he was just hilarious. Uh, and and a good joker, but um, at, it took a while, and then I suddenly realized this is getting better every time he comes around here. 
I'm so glad to see him. It's beginning to feel like a friendship. Several people have accused us of having an early bromance. <laughs> well, you, you, I, I will. I will. I will tell you, watching it, and and I, again, I'm not looking to embarrass you, but but it looked. It was two men. At, the more the interviews, or I should say, let me correct myself. The conversations went on. You could see yeah. you could see the genuine affection coming through, in particular from Ali. You, you, you know, I think so too. Yeah, I, and that warms my heart. <laughs> yeah, he got to really like me, and and um, showbiz people attempt that, but he really succeeded at it. If uh, if he was faking it, I'll eat my hat. Well, I, I, and I'll tell you what, I, I I made a note to ask you this. What, what struck me also was, and to, Ali was always on. Yeah, you know, as you say, he understood show business. He was sly. He was subtle, startlingly intelligent. He he got it. He understood understood the power of television. But when he sat with you, I actually felt that his on button was turned off. That he was just you two guys having a bromance, having a friendly yeah, conversation. Exactly. You got to see the man and uh, his genuine personality and his gifts and everything about him. Miraculous. By the way, do you know that he was, this sounds like an opinion, but it's a fact, the most famous person in the world. You can say that safely because it was that there was proof of that in many ways. One, I think it was Life magazine did a double page spread of maybe airmail-sized stamp photos of the most famous people in the world, on the planet, in the past, in the certain, the, the presidents, uh, the film stars, the great politicians. And people knew many of them. Some knew most of them. There were a few who didn't know who any of them were, and by that I would mean, say, a Bantu tribesman, <laughs> uh, who would say no, no? Oh, Ali, Ali, and they would point to his picture, and then nobody knew nobody. Else. Oh, I, I don't, I don't Mickey think Mickey Mouse and Jackie Kennedy. They didn't know. No, I, I don't think there's any that. Listen, you can talk about people, you know, products of, you know, especially in the social world we live in today. LeBron James, and and you, you know, you certainly had Michael Jordan, but a lot of that was also commercialized with product. Yeah. Ali, to me, you're 100% correct. Whether you liked him or didn't like him, he definitely was the most famous person in the world, most widely wasn't recognized. It, wasn't it interesting that one of his great uh, inspirations was Gorgeous George? He saw Gorgeous George, the egotistical... It was an act, of course, but he could get beautifully marcelled blonde hair. He was a champion wrestler. And he had a man working with him who was a British butler. And he, he put on this big act of being a pompous, elegant, and self-congratulating person. And Ali saw how to do that even better. Yeah, well, he said it in the movie. He said it in your film. He, he said, I figured out. I'm looking at this crazy guy. And it says, wait a minute. He, he went to yeah. see him work out. And, and then he comes back and sees 15,000 people in the arena. He says... This guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yep, yep. Really, he really saw an inspiration there. And uh, I remember seeing Gorgeous George wrestle in Lincoln, Nebraska, and, and other places, of course, 
he used to come to my hometown once a year. Uh, he would have a man come out and spray the ring with perfume. And one time he was leaning on the ropes just before they were resuming wrestling. And some old lay bag said to him, you look like a frowsy dame. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, look who's talking. <laughs> so Ali was inspired by that. Dude. There's no doubt about it. In, in your film, uh, Ali Cavett, um, one of the gentlemen, one of the people being interviewed, uh, an author, he co-authored a wonderful book. His name is Randy Roberts. Uh, he, co- he co-authored Blood Brothers, The Fatal Friendship Between Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. When I saw Randy in the film, I was really excited because yeah. I, I read that book, and it's a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous book. It, it really tells the story uh, uh, of a friendship and a fatal friendship. And, and to this day, um, you know, uh, we'll let them rest, both rest in peace. But Ali would say before he, you know, passed it, he'd say it quite a few times that his biggest regret was, you know, turning his back on Malcolm X. Yes. Yeah. He. He had a lot to handle in his fabulous personality and his ability to um, get himself in trouble and deal with it so well that by the time it all ended, nobody could think of anything wrong with Ali. Oh, probably a few who uh, never forgave him for not going to Vietnam. Um well, not so much going to without the help of any heel spurs at all. Did you notice that? Yeah, no. I was going to say not only forget not going to Vietnam, not going into the service, and that that, that brings me to a question, and I don't know yeah. if you could answer this. Maybe in because of your good friendship with him, uh, you would uh, you would have an answer. And I don't mean to say this disparaging, but I call I call Muhammad Ali the accidental hero. Now he certainly became a hero and and stood up. But the reason I say accidental, because in the book that I'm talking about, Blood Brothers, uh, uh-huh. he, he he and he's quoted as saying to the great Sugar Ray Robinson about going into the army. And I'm quoting, I'm afraid I'm really afraid I can't go. Elijah Muhammad told me I can't go. And Robinson said, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Robinson said, Ali wasn't afraid of jail. He was afraid of being killed by the Muslims. Now, did and, you have... Well, he might have been, apparently, yeah. He was he was definitely in danger, and I'm sure he had some bad night's sleep and wondering, how much farther do I get into this? People are telling me to get out of it, uh, but there are plenty of vengeance as possible, and uh, he, he steered a difficult course and had some great luck, apparently, too. But by the time all that was over... It was largely forgotten in his in his uh, reputation later, and I, I just uh, I worried about him. Did, did did you did I don't know, and you know maybe you don't want to talk about about I I will ask. Did you ever at any time later in life discuss these issue in private? Did he ever say to you, "Hey, Dick, man, I was afraid this the the the, the nation of Islam said I'm in trouble if I go." Uh, no, not in, 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 in fact, no, uh, whatever we said to each other was said on the shows. Uh, I didn't really ever have a private conversation about that with him, uh, though I would say in general, 
you know you've got some dangerous surrounding people in your life right now. You better be very damn careful. Um, and and I, I, I was scared a couple of times that he was going to uh, get it. But uh, he lived on um, and, and had a tragic life finally. But I don't think he would have traded any of it to not end up in that heartbreaking scene where he's holding the torch at the yeah. Olympics and they've just revealed who the great personality is that's going to come on stage. And it was Ali and people cheered. Uh, I was on a Virgin Gorda Island in Virgin, the Virgin Islands. And a guy there said it was a largely, almost entirely black population. And, uh, he said this whole Island cried when Ali appeared with that shaking hand and uh, still there and I don't I don't believe he had such a fabulous fabulous part of his fabulous part of his life I don't think he would have traded it what was really fun was to be with him out on the street or backstage or where people would innocently come along and see him for the first time in their life the only time mostly and they, they would just sort of uh, stop moving, and it's like their muscles all <laughs> either tightened or relaxed. And, and, and people would miss a step walking if they were on the sidewalk and saw him, somebody coming toward them. Uh, they, they, they would almost, well, in some cases, literally have to get their balance. Yeah. They saw this god <laughs> coming toward them on the sidewalk. He was, he, he loved, and he loved run into little kids and he would dip, stoop down and, and and pretend to box with them and right they, yeah they knew who he was and he just had the best time with them I, I thought to me one of the most telling moving parts of this film was when he was sitting with you on one of the many one of the 14 times and he looked at you in all sincerity and said dick you're my main man I mean, oh my God. The, the love you know, the love came from him, and the look on your face. I'm not looking to embarrass you, Dick Cavett, but you were glowing. <laughs> you were glowing when he said that to you. I know. Well, I, fortunately, I, I I knew the expression was a deep one, uh, and and for weeks afterwards, people would say, "Wow, Ali's main man." Do you know what a compliment that was, and. Um, I would say I'm I'm still realizing it as people come up and say, Dick, you could walk. Who somebody on the show says you could walk through Harlem without any trouble, uh, as my, Ali's man. Well, I, I would say so. Listen, if you're Ali's main man, you got no problem walking through Harlem, Bed Stuy, Compton, uh, Watts, wherever you you want it to be. What, what also, I think so too. I oh, think so. Also, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, uh, on the show, what. Again, what uh, another thing that struck me, uh, be, I guess that's because of your ability to make people feel so comfortable, Allie was totally unfiltered. I mean, he would just talk, and you wouldn't necessarily agree. You know, there were times when that transition period, he would talk about the white man being the devil, and you would challenge him on it. It was riveting yeah. te television. It was intelligent. It was riveting television, but th there was no, you, you felt it wasn't no like banging heads. You just listened to one another. 
Yeah, I know. People have said how surprising it was that that I, uh, what's the word, resisted him sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, and and that was sincere, and he handled it beautifully, and ultimately he he triumphed, except over his stupidly fighting eight nine fights longer than he should have. Everybody tried to stop him. Ferdy Pacheco, his doctor, all those people. Ali, if you want to have anything resembling a life for the rest of your life, you're going to have to quit now. And he didn't. No. And we know no, at all. I, I, I mean, and you see it in the film. I, I mean, when he fought Larry Holmes, that would see, <laughs> as bad as that was, but Larry Holmes would still be a heavyweight champion. But when he lost to Trevor Burbick, who was, you know, to me, one or two steps above being a tomato can and, and getting pummeled by, by him, you know, who was at one time the Canadian champ. That was, that You're right, that was terrible. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it, I have to ask I, you this, because it never came out in, in the film, and I thought it might. Because of your love for magic and his love for magic, did you guys ever get together and, and, and talk about and do magic tricks together? Well, not we didn't do them together necessarily, but sometimes we would show each other something quickly that we'd learn. He got uh, a red silk handkerchief about a foot square, and wherever he went, he would get strangers' attention, anybody who was there, and he would put the whole handkerchief, push it with one finger down into his closed left fist, open the fist, and it was gone. And he was so happy with that that he'd go to the next person who hadn't seen it and do it again. <laughs> and go all around the room doing it. Sometimes he'd, I, I finally discouraged him from showing how it worked because I said, you're not a real magician if you expose him. And he, I don't think he ever did again, but yeah, he, what, what, what a guy. Well, D Dick, you've interviewed Ali, you've interviewed everybody, and I have to, I could not let you go without asking you th this question. Well, well, a couple of them. Who is, yeah. if, if you could have, your absolute favorite interview? I mean, you've interviewed just about everybody. You name it. Like, as I said before, Brando, Joplin, uh, Garland, Hepburn, you, you know, uh, Noel Coward. You pick them. You, yeah. Groucho, who would be your very favorite interview? Besides Ali, let's say it that way. Well, I, w I wouldn't know how what favorite consisted of exactly, except... Uh, some were the greatest talkers, some were the greatest personalities, some were the greatest public figures. Uh, I, I could never pick out a favorite, but since I get asked a lot, I finally, if pushed to the wall, will say, in his odd and wonderful way, Groucho. Ah. Uh. Uh, and Groucho was on many times, and I just, uh, when... Um, about about a week and a half, I guess it's been about a week and a half ago, uh, I was on Colbert, and in the introduction he said once, someone once said, I can't believe I know Groucho Marx, and I say, I can't believe I know Dick Cavett. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm going to try and, and, and jog your memory. We had the pleasure of meeting... I guess it's about 20 years ago. I, I was 
they were taping uh, a Sopranos episode, and they were using me as a sportscaster's voice uh, on one of the ep- episodes. And I remember you coming up and saying hello, and you were hanging out because Michael Imperioli invited you to hang out and watch. And we spent yeah. a, we spent a lot of time talking. And th- we, you know, you told me this one story about Groucho that I've never forgotten. And I'm so glad we're talking. I can bring it up again to you. You you, you met him at a funeral. It, it was some big. The great George S. Kauf. There you go. There you go. I remember you at, at the funeral, and what was it on? Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue? And, and I never forget, you went up, you said to me, I told Groucho that I was uh, a big fan, and he, his remark to you was to open with, well, if you're such a fan, cool me off because it's hot as hell around here. <laughs> but, but, but then you told me he invited you to walk with him, for about three or four blocks, and you said to me, in that walk, he insulted every doorman along the way. Oh, yes, he insulted <laughs> doorman. It was Puerto Rican Day, and uh, th- there was a man who was just stunned coming toward us on Fifth Avenue, well, and, and he had on a really bright blue suit and a great smile, and then he saw Groucho, and his smile widened, and he almost, he sort of screamed aloud, Comedy! <laughs> Pointing at Groucho. <laughs> and Groucho said, uh, Tell me, uh, a week ago, were you still cutting sugar cane? <laughs> and uh, he had something for every doorman. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm sure he did. Well, since I've asked you who your favorite was, was there a worst? Uh, I would hate to name anybody who was my worst guest, uh, and I, so I wouldn't say his name, but his initials were Spiro Agnew. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dull beyond belief. And I have this strange quirk of rearranging the letters of words and names into something else. All and right. just before Agnew had put everybody to sleep, including me, and he got left the studio, and he got into the limo. My anagram rearranging habit came to mind. Spiro Agnew. Well, well I, 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 I'm sorry. I thought you might have said, I, I, this is one that I will always forget before we say goodbye. You had Lester Maddox, the former governor uh, yeah. uh, of... Um, Georgia, correct? Georgia. Former governor yeah. who used to be a restaurant owner and chased black people out of his restaurant with an axe handle. You had him on sitting next to Jim, Jim Brown, Brown and Truman, Compo- Truman Capote was on the show yeah. and Maddox uh, stormed off the show and uh, you were great. Uh, your answer was, well, wait a minute, we got two minutes left in the show. <laughs> yeah, the... the, the uh politician in him knew the value of television time, of course. And so I announced that a fact we'll remember from that is that he, being a politician, walked off a network television show a scant 88 minutes into a 90-minute show. <laughs> but, but I don't know if he planned it or not, but I, I remember you would not. He wanted you to apologize because, oh, yeah. because he he, he said all the people in Georgia were bigots. Bigots, yes. And uh, he, he 
really threatened me. And I said, well, if I've called anyone a bigot who isn't a bigot, I apologize. And he saw through that and Lester hauled ass or walked off. And uh, <laughs> got about 5,000 congratulatory wires from admirers. And I did about the same. And some suggested I try swimming in the Yazoo River with an anchor around my neck. <laughs> and, uh, but by the way, going back just a bit, if anybody asks you, what was Cavett's anagram for the letters in Spiro Agnew's name? Shall I tell you? Please. Grow a penis. <laughs> Check it out. I will definitely, I will definitely do that. And and, and on that note, uh, Mr. Dick Cavett, I can't thank you enough for sharing some of your time and some of your oh. charm, charm and your knowledge. The show, uh, Ali Cavett, Teletu Tapes, is just terrific. Um, thank you for spending time with us here. And I well, hope... Rest, uh, uh, yes. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not so bad yourself. Well, that's very kind of you. And you know what? I'll take that as one of my all-time compliments because it's coming from you, Dick Cavett. So uh, thank you again. And, and hopefully uh, I'm going to impose upon you and say... I'm going to try and track you, track you down again and do it again. Why not? It, it sounds terrific. All right. Okay, th man. Th thank you, Dick Cavett. And, folks, that's yes, a wrap sir. here. I want to thank Dick Cavett once again, and I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this with me and Dick Cavett. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on today's podcast. You can tell me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg, on Facebook. You can also check out my website, russsalsberg.com my thanks to the big man across the way crash here aka mike caragliano to my 77 wabc program director dave labrosi his outstanding assistant matt Dahl, and last but certainly not least you the great people out there because without you people out there i'd have nobody here to be talking to so until next time it is i russ salzberg saying to all of you bye bye so long and farewell talk to you next time When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.